Welcome leaders, I'm your host, Cree Edholm. For those of you who create goals on an ongoing basis, which I highly recommend, or took time to create New Year's resolutions for 2019, it's now time to take action. Take advantage of the momentum and excitement you've created for yourself now because naming an initiative is only the first step. Accountability, especially personal accountability, is high on the list of traits that guests on this show name as something all leaders should have. At Leadership Excursion Company, we have ongoing leadership training courses that are designed to help you with implementing whatever it is that you want to accomplish. It can be personal or professional, doesn't matter. Leadership Excursion Company offers training for managers and leaders, team building to improve the way teams communicate and work together, individual growth opportunities for personal development, leadership training for teens ages 16 and up, and corporate and wellness retreats. We're here to help support you and your success. Visit leadershipexcursion.co for more information. And today... I am so excited about today's guest. This woman is a force to be reckoned with. Gina Gavin is the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of North Las Vegas and founder of Project Dinner Table, which is one of the most beautiful and impactful events I've ever attended. In this episode, Gina shares some of the initiatives taking place in the north part of the Las Vegas Valley, as well as the unique events she created to bring our community together. And with that, we welcome you to the Leadership Looks Like podcast. Join us as we explore personal stories of leaders who are making an incredible impact in their businesses, lives, and communities. Get ready to be inspired, see things from a new perspective, and learn new tools to help overcome challenges. This is what leadership looks like. Gina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's so good to see you. It's great to see you too. It's been a couple years. It has been. And you know, I think about, we would always kind of see each other in passing, mm-hmm. I think. Yes. And um, I know you through Project Dinner Table, which we'll talk about here in a little while. Um, and you know, before we started recording, we were talking about what you do to, you know, put, to pay the bills, really. And you're out at North Las Vegas? Correct. I am. It's been four years since I've been at North Las Vegas. And what are you doing out there? Well, I have been heading up the economic development uh, department and um, then recently just got a promotion for uh, chief innovation officer. All right. Uh, Yeah. I like that title. Me as well. (laughs) Uh, So what what does that really mean, right? That there's now some other departments, uh, Parks and Rec, uh, Parking Services, which is a new division that we're starting, and then the libraries, as long, along with economic development. Um, but essentially what it means is just applying innovative ideas and bold new possibilities um, to those areas for the city and uh, focusing on resident services and um, the growth for the city through yeah. development um, and just how we can be more innovative and problem-solving and Come that's, out of the box with that, that's cool fantastic. Stuff. All right, so let's let's clear some things up for okay. our listeners and for myself. So last I heard, North Las Vegas was going bankrupt. <laughs> you know, and I don't uh-huh. honestly, I don't really know how many years ago that was. Sure. But um, you know, what's what's happening with the city, and and mm-hmm. obviously they're uh, investing in that that portion of the valley. Mm-hmm. If they have an innovation officer out there who's working on new projects and so on, so what is happening with with the city of North Las Vegas? Well, so that's a fair statement. Um, North Las Vegas, uh, about five five and a half years ago, 
um, was in close to receivership. Uh, it was right when Mayor John Lee was taking office and they really just had about two, three weeks before uh, they were going to fall into that category. And they came in and they uh, made some difficult decisions. And a lot of that started with some staff layoffs. But it was how do they reduce the budget deficit? And they did a lot of deep dive into what would that do regionally if a city in Nevada, you know, goes into receivership or goes BK. And looking at Detroit and some of the others that were on the brink at that time and and um, what they had realized was regionally it creates a huge ripple effect, not just for the state, but it would affect Arizona and California and uh, some of our neighboring states. And so they did what they needed to do to make the difficult decisions so the city could sustain. And then now we have reported um, balanced budget for the last several years, which is huge. Mm-hmm. And we have had tremendous amount of growth um in economic development. So bringing in new companies, a lot of industrial, there's been a lot of new commercial. We have more than 15,000 new permits pulled for new rooftops in the city. So it has in the last, um, at least what I've seen in the last four years, since I've been there, tremendous amount of growth um, and acceleration. Yeah, I can imagine it's going on all over the valley. Mm -hmm. So where does the city of North Las Vegas start? Oh, the boundaries, the official boundaries. Um, well, so from the south side, um, it is at Las Vegas Boulevard and Owens. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're going to go from the west side. The boundary is going to be Decatur. Um, on the north side, you know, you're going to really hit the 215 and the, the, the mountains. Um, so, you know, where the VA is, and mm-hmm. that goes a little bit more west. But um, you think of the new national park, uh, Tule Springs. Oh, kind nice. of is, so that, is one of those borders on the far northwest. Yeah. And then obviously we go out to Apex. Um, and then on the east side, um, there's some county cutouts. So it's a little bit, um, it's not as, as black and white. But um, if you think, you know, kind of Nellis, um, Nellis is actually in the county, but it's really in North Las Vegas. So that's kind of, that, that, that's an idea of a, a border. Okay. Yeah, there are no clear-cut borders in this valley. There are no. Because there's the city of North Las Vegas, there's the city of Las Vegas, there's Henderson, and then there's the county. Am I missing Are you confused yet? (laughs) Yeah. I know. All the different jurisdictions. Yeah, but it isn't just like clear. There are patch. It's kind of like a patchwork Mm -hmm. in some parts of the valley. Yeah. So, um, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Politically, it makes it interesting. And I think, too, how how the the budgets flow and and CTACs and... um, I think that there can be advantages um, to the multiple jurisdictions and, um, you know, certainly for the residents in each of those cities, it gives them more of a voice. Um, But then sometimes, you know, it becomes, I think, a disadvantage because it's easy to be in those silos, you know, and not having a a bigger lens regionally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is a question I have for you about your job is innovation. Your job is to make improvements to the city of North Las Vegas. So do you work with the other um, entities in the Valley to do that? Definitely. Mm -hmm. We have a great relationship with uh, all of our regional partners. And so what does that mean? I mean, all the utilities, I mean, Envy Energy, Southwest Gas, I mean, Cox, CenturyLink, Um, North Las Vegas, we are our own sewer and water and police and fire. 
Um, so we obviously have good working relationships there. Uh, but then also with GOED, the Governor's Office of Economic Development, there's LVGEA, which is the Las Vegas Global Economic Alliance. Uh, we work with them very closely and the utilities on attraction uh, for bringing in new companies. And then you've got, I mean, partners like the RTC, um, which is a big player in, you know, in what we do. INDOT, um, ha- you know, has contributing um, assets into all of the things that we're doing. So there's a lot of people that come to the player. A lot of, there are a lot of partners that come to the table, yeah. um, you know, to play in that game of improvement. So what's the biggest challenge of your day, of your job? I think the biggest challenge would be time. Mm-hmm. It's really just, it's that, I call it that creative canvas time, you know, of, of really being able to step back and have some quiet time and to be able to paint the canvas, um, you know, the strat- the strategy part and thinking through the dots, the connecting all the dots, you know, it's a lot of decisions on the fly, which are like, you know, a lot of, a lot of companies, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're having to make quick decisions and, um, you know, and obviously we're always with flexibility to be able to pivot, but I think it's that, it's that real think time, that creative time of being able to really have a wide lens and understand the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you can't, you know, you're taking the best, the best case scenario into effect in that short amount of time, you know, but. Yeah. This is a theme that's kind of come up often on this podcast is speaking to individuals like yourself who are um, involved in these projects and these initiatives in our valley. I mean, this is such a time for growth in this in this area. And uh, construction is going on everywhere. Um, things are happening. We've got stadiums going in. We've got, you know, pro teams coming in from all over the place. And I think for you, what you just described was this is a very fast-paced environment right now. And when you think of work in terms of government, it's not always that way, right? It's probably a little slower. But no. you're, you're saying you guys are on the move. You're really having to hustle and, and get things done. Yeah. Well, you know, and I, that's a direct reflection of our mayor and our leadership and where North Las Vegas is, you know, like we are run like a business. We are a business. I mean, you know, Mayor Lee will say, if you look at all of the assets, pipes in the ground and and the assets and, and of what the city, um, our balance sheet is, you know, I mean, it's almost like an $18 billion company mm-hmm. if you take all of that into evaluation. Um, you know, so it's very much run like a business um, as it should be, you know, and there is a lot of stigma in government, you know, and I'll admit I was one of them. I mean, I, I come from the private sector, um, being an entrepreneur and, and that, you know, it was kind of like, well, government. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And um, what is amazing about North Las Vegas and what really has made it successful is that attitude. Um, and there, you know, all cities, I think, ha- have a little bit of that. But I can just speak more intimately about North Las Vegas and, and the attitude and the leadership and the direction is, you know, if you're if um, it's not fast, it's faster, you know, or what is what is happening to, s- to slow you down. And um, so, so part of that momentum and that rhythm has been critical to our success. Um, but look, our greatest strengths also become our greatest weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And so it has been our greatest strength, um, you know, and then now we are in an opportunity to be able to add more staff because we've had some capacity challenges. We've been working really, everybody at the city has been wearing lots of multiple hats. 
and doing many different jobs to get the job done, you know, and so now we're, we're adding staff back in. And, um, you know, I think that with that, we'll be able to create a little bit more space for that, that kind of that strategy and that, that thinking, you know, maybe process time. Yeah. So you've been a part of that, really put your head down and, and work hard to get the city back on track. Yes. I mean, we've got a great city manager. We, mm-hmm. You know, we've got great mayor and council um, and overall great leadership and, and directors. And I mean, just down the line, like there's really some awesome humans. Yeah. There. You know, I, I think this is one of those stories where um, North Las Vegas was in the news for a long time about, uh, you know, pe- people weren't sure what was going to happen, you know, yeah. and then you just don't hear about it. Yeah. What are some of the projects that the city of North Las Vegas is working on now that that you believe people should know about? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take that in in two parts. Um, I'll start with some of the city projects. You know, so we've got um, a lot of great parks. Um, you know, Craig Regional um, Craig Regional Ranch Park. Um, is, is that where the golf course used to be? Is that yes? Okay, yeah, and that's a huge that's a huge asset to the city. Um, downtown, the revitalization of this area that's mature. We've got a brand new um, a private theater that is going in. There's going to be some new commercial, but the city has a project um, with a new downtown library branch and a park, and then we, the redevelopment agency, owns a historic school. Um, it used to be Washington Continuation School. And it's on the historic register. Um, I believe it was 1932 um, that that school was built. And so we're programming that as an educational experiential campus. And I think that's going to really be a linchpin for the city um, because every city sort of needs to have defined a, def- a defined character, you know, and, and our downtown is really that canvas for us to be able to take it to the next level, um, bring in some new emerging companies, new jobs, higher wages, um, and then just increase the assets around there for the residents. Um, and there's some natural assets that the city has that most cities don't. Mm -hmm. And when I say that, what I mean is like, we've got middle schools, elementary schools, high school, we've got a grocery store, a, um, post office, you know, I mean, things that communities all want to build around that a lot of times you have to go out and you have to try to attract that to come to your downtown and we all have it within a mile mile and a half walking distance Mm -hmm. and that's that's huge so the park uh the the library that experiential campus is a city project um another um project that is very instrumental instrumental to the city would be apex so kind of going polar opposites so that developing that industrial park, mm-hmm. um, we've got an oversized agreement with the water line and um, some some plans to really do some cool things. And Dot just finished up a $58 million uh, highway expansion project out there. The ribbon cutting is actually in two weeks. Um, so that's been very critical. We've had success out at the Speedway. Uh, there was an EDA grant, a federal grant that we got on top of some other investment the city put in, uh, roughly about, um, let's call it $46 million between roads and sewer, a long-term sewer solution. Um, and that area was underdeveloped, roughly 900 acres of 1,100 acres um, sits in North Las Vegas. And so that's where a lot of companies like Amazon is building their new facility. It's a new innovative footprint on two point. It's eight hundred thousand square foot 
footprint, but the building will be three stories, a mezzanine level, and will total 2.4 million square feet. Wow. That's pretty incredible. That's pretty big. Yeah, if you drive along the 15, um, you know, driving Mm -hmm. towards Arizona and Utah, you can see all that industrial park. Is Mm -hmm. that what you're referring to? Yeah, so there's... There's one on the what would be the west side of the 15 and mm-hmm. then now on the east side by the Speedway. And so Northgate, uh, which was the newer industrial park, and Amazon has a facility there. Uh, there's Fanatics, Am- uh, Honest Company. Um, those are some of the, the big ones, the tenants out there. And then now where we have the long-term sewer on the east side next to the Speedway, we've got Amazon is building another facility, Sephora. Um, there's a regional facility for Bed Bath & Beyond. Um, and we've got a lot of, let me put it in this way, just in job creation, new job creation for the valley between those two industrial parks, there's going to be roughly 7,000 new jobs created. Wow. Um, it makes sense. I mean, the 15 is such, it's, it's a, it's an artery through, mm-hmm. you know, Southern Nevada into Southern California. Yeah. You know, it's, it's right off of the freeway there. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, How exciting. So are you involved in most of these projects in yes. one form or another? Yeah. Yeah. They, they would all be economic drivers, you know, to mm-hmm. the city. Um, and then, you know, just Probably, I know there's lots of things that we want to talk about, but one other um, kind of influence area I'd like to bring up would be by the VA. Um, So the city in November of 2014, we received 645 acres in the job creation zone. So it was a bill that went through Congress. And that was for, to bring new industry, you know, and new jobs and diversify the economy. And 150 of that 645 is next to the VA hospital. And, and we received the patent on that land about a year ago from the BLM. And we have been working behind the scenes on some planning um, for a medical research facility to be able to complement the VA. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's really going to be um, future linchpin, you know, for North Las Vegas. I kind of call that area our what will be our genius corridor. Okay. Yeah, I so, like it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, my dad's um, a veteran mm-hmm. and he, he goes to the VA. I'll take him out there sometimes. It's a beautiful facility. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I can't say anything. I, I can't say enough great things about the staff out there. So that's, that's really neat yeah. to hear that you're, you're going to be building out that area. Mm-hmm. So how big is your team? Mm, we're small and mighty. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. So that's one of the ingredients that North Las Vegas has created in the success is being able to do more with less, mm-hmm. you know, and when you're a startup or, you know, when you're kind of coming out of um, difficult financial situations, like th- that's what you need to do. And and part of that is building the right team and having the right people in place. And so my, uh, the team on economic development, there's um, four of us, including myself, and then we have, um, so we'll total five, including one of our assistants. Um, How do you keep a team, a small team like that, motivated? Mm-hmm. You know, when, when kind of the, the odds are stacked against you. Mm-hmm. And it's this isn't a startup. I mean, you don't have stocks to give them. You don't have extra incentives. Um, you know, what do you have to work with? And how do you, how did you, and how do you keep your team moving forward? Mm-hmm. Well, having passion behind what you have to do is one of the the, the definitely secrets to success. Mm-hmm. If if the people on the on uh, you know my team didn't believe in what we were doing in the work that we were doing, it doesn't work. 
if they're just trying to show up for a paycheck, then they're in the wrong place. Uh, just because it is fast pace and you've got to have you've got to have that courage to want to stand up in that face of adversity when the the cards, you know, or the deck is stacked against you and want to win. And, you know, and everybody there has a heart of gold. They have the ability to be able to work really well together. Um, you know, so a lot, it's, it's a lot of, um, drive, determination, courage to be able to be different, mm-hmm. um, to stand up for what we believe in. Cause sometimes we're the ones standing up in the room, you know, maybe, um, disagreeing or having, you know, a different perspective, you know, but we're coming from a different perspective, you know, but everything that we do is for the residents. We work for the residents of North Las Vegas, you know, and so we're building a bit, a bigger and a better city, you know, collectively. And I think the other really key thing that we've done since I've been there is open up channels of communication across all channels, you know, so anything that we're doing in economic development, we're also doing in tandem with planning and zoning and public works and utilities. You know, like we all have to have harmony in how we're moving forward because we're all interconnected, you know, and so that's been, I think, a critical key to our success. Mm -hmm. Um, But keeping people motivated, you know, it's just, it's, I call it the, the human factor. You know, you've, you've got to stay engaged in what drives them and that's that's emotionally, physically, financially, um, and intellectually, you know? And, and I look at how we grow the city in those holistic realms, and I also look at how we, make, how we become a better team in those holistic realms. Mm-hmm. If you could pick out or um, define the most important leadership trait, in your opinion, what would that be? I'm going to say vulnerability. Okay. Why? Well, with the, when there's vulnerability, then there's trust. Like if you can't go in the room and be willing to admit your mistakes or to know that to be able to ask for help um or to just not know and be okay with that, then you can't have you don't really have trust. And if you don't have trust, then you know, you're not operating at all on all cylinders, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I think that vulnerability is is key um, to kind of that whole puzzle, um, you know, because then what happens on the opposite spectrum, if you have invulnerability, then you've got people that are closed down, they're not communicating, um, maybe coming from more ego, you know, ego space. And look, and you have to have, you have to have, there has to be ego in in the equation. It's just, is an ego for the whole and for the greater good or is it individual, Mm -hmm. you know, ego? Um, But so I I think that it's, yeah, vulnerability because it really is um, critical to building trust. Yeah. What, um, what drives you? So who do you look up to? Who or what do you look up to at the city to, you know, keep, keep things going, not only with your team, but also all of the other relationships that you formed um, while working there. And then, you know, having the ability to have this big vision to grow the city where you want it to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mayor and council, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Mayor Lee and our city council and our city manager, you know, they're setting 
um, the overall vision and and direction, you know, and then we take that and and we may add, you know, some of our own, you know, spices or, or you know, things into the mix. But overall, they're setting the tone and the temperature, you know, and driving the driving the rhythm. Um, and so, I mean, you know, I would say that Mayor Lee is somebody that has, you know, become a mentor and a, a role model. And I have a lot of great respect for what he's done, mm-hmm. just who he is as a person and his experience that he's had uh, in in the world of politics, which isn't, you know, necessarily always, you know, polished and pretty, um, and nor is any part of, you know, living on this say, planet. I was going to so. say, <laughs> put a business name there, but yeah. a situation there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he, um, he's somebody that I definitely have a lot of admiration and respect and I've learned a lot from. Um, you know, um, Ryan Juden, our city manager, also somebody else that, you know, I have a, a great deal of respect for. Um, and, you know, he, he, he's a, he's a warrior. Um, and you have to have that attitude, I mm-hmm. think, to be able to, to really be a catalyst for great change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Great. All right. We're going to change. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to set the tone here yes. for this. All right. So, um, so this is probably a, a spring evening in Las Vegas, and we're at Cashman Field, all right? And, um, you know, Cashman Field is a baseball, stadium baseball um, field here in town where we have a semi-pro team that, that plays out of that stadium. And I'm sitting in between second and third base at a table with probably at least 100 other people. And these white linen tables – and we have a gourmet meal and the most beautiful conversation. Um, we have wine. And at the end of our meal, um, the fireworks go off in the stadium. And um, and then at the end of the experience, you present um, money. You present a check to a charity here in Las Vegas. So what I described is my experience at the Project Dinner Table. And I will tell you, after I left that experience, it, it really left an impression on me. And I know it has left an impression on many, many people in this town. And I just like to know a little bit about this project. Mm-hmm. And you were doing it for a while, and it stopped. And I think recently you brought it back, right? Correct. And this is probably a loaded question, but I, I want to know how did you get started in the first place mm-hmm. and the challenges and, and um, why it went dark for a little while and, and what made you bring it back? Mm-hmm. All great questions. Uh, I'm just well, going to throw it to you all at once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. <laughs> we'll break it down. Yeah. Well, it started in, I guess the idea was conceived in 2009. And that was at a time when we were really there's still a lot of people affected by the recession. I was working for um real estate developer and we had a project at that time on the South Strip and and one in Phoenix and so I'm going back and forth and you know I was the the face person going in and dealing with the banks and and um all the the owners, you know, putting down deposits and um, and people weren't happy. And and then here locally, I kept hearing, oh, you know, this community, 
hasn't been great to me or it's just sort of derogatory remarks about the community. And so it actually was born out of a drive to say, to disagree. I was, I believed that we had a great community in Las Vegas. My experience had been that I had met some amazing people and leadership Las Vegas through the Metro chamber was one of those programs um, that I graduated in the class of 2006. And that was a real catalyst for me of gaining a greater appreciation for this community. And so I said, you know what, I disagree. And it just ruminated, honestly, probably for about 10 months. It in starting in 2008, this started just sitting in, the, you know, kind of like in my soul level, you know, of like, I don't, there's just something off here. So anyway, long story short was that in 2009, I was like, um, I remember it was a Saturday and I'm sitting at, at my dinner table and um, just started putting these different little pieces together. Like, well, how do you build community? You know, by asking questions like, what is community? And what is what would that look like if I would bring people around? And then I'm like, well, I'm sitting at the dinner table, like around a dinner table. And so it was in, um, I did some research. I filed the trademark. I went out and I started talking to a few few people, really corporations, to see if they would think that this would be something that they would see benefit to. And anyway, um, took the leap, and we did our first dinner in April of 2010, April 24th, 2010, out at the orchard. And we did, we ran for five years straight, and then took a, um, we went dark for four years, the four years I've been at North Las Vegas. That makes sense. You had a lot of work to do out there. And then uh, just recently, then we did do a dinner back at where it all started, at the uh, Cooperative Orchard that's actually in North Las Vegas. And that's Gilcrease, right? Um, no. It's the U, um, It's the Cooperative Extension Orchard between UNLV and UNR. Okay. Um, it's off of Horse Road. Um, it's, a, it's really just a, a, a well-kept secret um, in our community. Mm-hmm. But it's a very, very cool, special place. Yeah, I've never been there. I'll have to go check it out. Yeah, on Saturday mornings from 8 to noon, you can go out there and you can talk to the master gardeners and they have different classes and um, they have a farmer's market. Yeah. So you are you just came up with this concept. What what motivated you to, to do it, to actually follow through? Mm, it just um, really that drive, something that I just believed in deeply, that mm-hmm. it was like that we do have a great, we have a great community. Mm-hmm. And so it was just adding those community, those, those different components of saying, look, let's give people an experience and let them experience through all of their different senses what it means to connect, you know? And so it had to be outside the four walls of a restaurant. Um, you wanted it to be in, a, I'll say remote, but let's just call it a unique location. And then that the location would also be able to educate people that were coming around the table um, of our community. And so they got to connect on all all different levels, you know, and, and taste, sense, sound, um, and be able to feed all of those different senses. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was that the people coming around the dinner table, you know, and we were up to 200 plus people uh, toward the end, you know, the last couple of years of it. Um, of one long dinner table, right? And I mean, and so the ingredients were people, food, and purpose. Mm-hmm. 
bringing 100 plus or 150 plus people around the dinner table, sourcing food locally when we were able, um, connecting chefs to farmers, connecting companies to people and to causes, uh, and then seeing what kind of magic would happen. And what what was created, which was just, you know, all organic, you know, all I did was help facilitate. I just brought people together, created connections on multiple different levels, and the rest everybody else did, right? Mm-hmm. And that was, and that's really what the community did. And I mean, the people met, have would come to the dinner, they met, they got married, they had baby. Um, in particular, <laughs> one case, I mean, yeah. people met and then started doing, you know, met business partners or, you know, new clients. I mean, just the stories have been remarkable. Mm -hmm. How many events have you hosted to date? Mm, That's a great question. Um, I believe that we, what dinner was it that we just did? Um, It was probably our I don't know. Let's just say I know that there's been about 40 of them. A couple of them were private. Mm -hmm. And then um, as far as the community dinners, I think there was like 36 or 37, something like that. Yeah. So are you doing them quarterly or monthly or? Well, we have, um, I have kind of a partner in crime just because my, I don't really have a lot of capacity right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And so somebody's going to logistically kind of take on more of, um, more of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, we're thinking probably three, maybe three in 2019. Okay. Um, but we're kind of working working that out. But yeah, maybe, th- maybe three. I think it's two or three, honestly, a year. Um, I think there's a lot more that we have in this, in, you know, in Las Vegas now. I mean, we've got a lot of, you know, sports and more sports coming and, uh, it's a lot noisier place than it was when we started in 2010, really in a recession. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's amazing because the in the four years that it was dark, uh, no exaggeration, like every week somebody was emailing or calling or, you know, reaching out in some way, like, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this again? And I was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, like it, it, it's just very humbling, you know, and I have a lot of gratitude for the community of embracing it so much. And then still to this day, really, you know, saying out loud that there's still a place for it. Yeah, it was missed. Absolutely. So how do you um, develop those partnerships with the chefs or with um, then also with the nonprofits that you were donating mm-hmm. money to? Mm-hmm. Well, when we were um, doing this on a consistent basis, we had an application program for the nonprofits. And so they would apply and then there was a committee that would go through the applications. You know, if we're just going to do a couple a year, um, you know, I don't know if we're going to get uh, if it will be that formal. Um, you know, people, the nonprofits reach out. And so I think that it, whether it's, it's taking a theme for a year and supporting different nonprofits based on that theme, you know, or sort of filling that, or providing resources to, to a specific audience, um, you know, or, um, I'm not, we haven't finalized exactly how we'll make those, those considerations. Mm -hmm. Um, but reaching out to the nonprofits, they find you. Um, you know, I mean, at first it was, you know, I mean, you'd read it out to one and then, you know, it spreads like wildfire. Um, and then with the chefs, I mean, like when I started this, you know, I didn't know any chefs. 
I mean, it was a lot of, it was like going back to the old radio, you know, sales days of, well, let's just make some cold calls. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, or let's just say this out loud to somebody because somebody's going to, you know, buy that, you know, direct you to somebody else. The six degrees of separation. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of guts, uh, you know, guts and maybe some grace um, of how it all started. Yeah, because these chefs had to cook in weird places and be creative. Yeah. You know, I think I'm trying to think if food trucks were a big thing at that point. No, you know? not not yet. They weren't. Right. That was so, more 2012 mm-hmm. that food trucks started to really hit um, 2012, 2013. Meaning there's a mobile kitchen that they could potentially use. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Now, what makes you continue to want to give back in this way? I mean, you you have a very busy life now. You have some amazing projects you're working on. It's your regular job. What, you know, what makes you want to continue to um, oversee Project Dinner Table? Mm-hmm. It's just who I am. You know, I mean, like it's, Project Dinner Table is truly an extension of who I am. Mm-hmm. And as much as I'd like to create separation, because it, it, it can and should succeed in perpetuity with or without me. Like it has merits to stand on its own, whether I'm involved or, or you know, somebody else completely or a company completely, How, whatever its fate is meant to be. Um, but it, it represents everything of who I am about bringing people together, you know, I, I mean, loving um, conversation and connection and, and, local food and, um, and, and causes, you know, and so, um, that's part of, I think the the success of it. And I think that at one point it was also part of the, the failure of it. You know, a lot of people don't look at it at, nobody else would probably look at it as a failure, but there was a time of when I, I had to make the decision to stop. And I made that decision before I was going to North Las Vegas that I did feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. I felt like that I had failed the community and I failed myself because I didn't start it to be a business. Yeah. I started it out of a passion of really proving people wrong that we had a great community. Uh, and, you know, and then it got so big and, I mean, was even on travel and leisures, like, you know, top 10 things to do list that – it really did need to grow into a business. And as much as I tried to then back my way into that, it just, you know, it was kind of, that's not how it had taken its root, mm-hmm. you know? And so then to then make it a business, it it just almost needed a, a, a fresh start, you know, or it needed to, it needed a pause. Um, and I can't really say today, it certainly can be a business. Um, and, 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 like anything, even a nonprofit needs to be run like a business. You know, you've got to you've got to make money to give money, you know, or to be able to sustain um, and have some growth. And um, so, I started it, and it represents definitely who I am. Um, I've learned a lot from it. The the balance of giving and receiving. Um, I've had to probably embrace forgiveness probably forgiveness for myself, which some people, a lot of people, my friends don't even understand that. They're like, I just don't understand why you say that. I'm like, well, for me, you know, like it does feel like somewhat of a failure mm-hmm. because it, it was so successful in one way, but yet then it became really a financial burden, you know, it, towards the end and in a whole nother way. 
Um, and then, you know, when it starts to hurt you personally because you're giving all your money away, you know, and it just all of a sudden, it just it got all tangled up. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and your time. Yeah. And it's your heart and soul into something. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I can only imagine. And when you're not doing it to make money and then, you know, I had a consulting company on the other side, this was just how I made money. But yet then I, all of a sudden, you know, you don't have a lot of time for that. That it's like, oh, that's kind of the balance of giving and receiving. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of lots of life lessons. Yeah. What made you bring it back? The demand of the community. Right. Um, I probably would have been okay hiding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I will I will definitely admit that one of the things that I have I have missed is the community. You know, I mean, every day going and fighting for the residents of North Las Vegas and growing that community is important and has a tremendous purpose, you know, but um, my view of community isn't within four walls and uh, or within boundaries, you know, and so it, it was really quite a special night, you know, to be able to bring people together again mm-hmm. um, and see my friends again. Yeah. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Busy over here. Yeah. Um, you know, I think like projects like yours, Project Dinner Table, it, it arrived at a time when this city really needed to be reminded because we were going through such a difficult time, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, now we, we spoke earlier about how this city and th- this valley, I should say, when I say city, I mean, everything about this valley, um, is prospering. And this is when it, I think it's even more important. We have to remember. We have to remember mm-hmm. to not take things for granted and to appreciate each other's company. And you know, when we have the the means to give back, that's when we should be doing it. You know, yeah. and so um, I don't know. I think it's fantastic. I'm happy to see it back. Thank you. Yeah. How much time do you think you put into Project Dinner Table? Oh, you, you like when it was running consistently? Yeah. Or just. Uh, I, I'm sure you have no idea, but I, it's 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 up it, there on the consuming scale. I'm con- sure consuming, very consuming. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I just can even this last dinner um, that we did. You know, I was having to to really work on that between the hours of you know 7 p.m. and maybe 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. Um, and it's it was a lot. Yeah, I bet it's intense. I bet. Right, so what do you do for self-care? How do you, how do you, how do you, how does Gina take care of Gina? Oh, Cree. Meditation. Yeah. It's something that I got into a couple, well, on and off. I think I flirted with it for the last decade. Um, but probably within the last couple of years, really started putting more attention on how do I create disruption to my own thoughts. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by the disruption is to quiet the mind. You know, our, our minds are meant to think, but our minds aren't also meant to be trusted. It makes a lot of stuff up. And I just wanted to be able to tap into those inner resources, you know, and that stillness and be able to hear myself, you know, or not hear anything. I mean, if it, if, you know, there was nothing to hear, then there's nothing to listen to and just being quiet. Um, but I recently just went through a 165-hour certification program. Oh, cool. To be certified meditation teacher. Um, so I would say that's one of my my kind of passions and 
And but that's what I do to really give back and and the self care, self love portion. I'm very disciplined with my meditation. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Oh, I'll get up. Um, I'll usually meditate for 30, 40 minutes. Um, I will sometimes go to the gym. I, I say sometimes because the last six months I've not been very good about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, usually I'll, I'll try to knock that out too in the mornings. Uh, and then, you know, work um, until about, you know, let's just say six thirty, seven o'clock, sometimes later. And then I go home and really just try to chill. You know, sometimes I'll add in a second meditation. So, you know, for a while I was meditating twice a day, mm-hmm. um, you know, or I write a lot. Um, but I don't know. The days are, are everybody's busy. So I, I hate to say, oh, I got these 15-hour days or 16-hour days. I mean, what does that really mean, you know? Yeah. It's really 24 hours that we have. Yeah. Well, really, it's about prioritizing what's important to you. Mm-hmm. So what is the process you use to to fit the things that are important to you into each of your days? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's the inner, it's the resolve, I think, to, to, to make those decisions of what's important. And, and so one thing that I've said is meditation is more important than going to the gym. Right, wrong, or indifferent. Some days, I, you know, I battle with that, but meditation, making sure that my mind is in the right place or that I have the opportunity to be able to observe what's going on inside my head um, and to be able to hear what my heart is saying is my number one priority Mm -hmm. because it makes me a better human. Um, I'm able to be less reactionary, you know, or um, you can just deal with crisis and 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 life, I think, um, more calmly. That doesn't mean that I'm always calm because <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of energy. Uh, but um, yes, yeah, so that's that's no matter what, that's that's my number one priority um, that I give to myself. Um, and then everything else seems to be somewhat flexible. I mean, obviously, work and the commitment that that I make I make to that. Um, and then probably the other, um, I will choose solitude. Or quiet time over social time now. Um, and sometimes that's good and sometimes that's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just say sometimes, you know, it can go either way just because sometimes I can, I can, I can hibernate too much. Um, you know, but I really enjoy that quiet, that stillness, you know, or just that opportunity to be able to, um, to go through whatever processes or thinking or, um, you know, problem solving that I'm working out, you mm-hmm. know, for work or life or whatever it may be. Um, Where do you go for support when you're experiencing challenge in your life? Probably, well, there's, I have, I mean, I have some really amazing friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of times I'll try to work it out on paper first. Um I think that writing can be very healing and has a lot that it can provide us when we can, you know, put things put things down um, and be able to to go back over them. 
Um, hey, I mean, I've had my fair share with therapists. <laughs> I mean, I think it's really healthy <laughs> Absolutely. to go and talk to uh, somebody with a different perspective. Um, you know, I mean, if it's, if it's work or, or leadership, I mean, you know, there may be different, you know, leaders or influencers around the community, um, that I may go be and, you know, go talk to and, and pose different questions to them. I mean, I'm overall a curious person, um, you know, and so, um, I think it's, it's the discernment of knowing when is the right time to, to share, you know, and talk to people about something that you might be struggling with um, professionally or personally, or, you know, when is it just to keep your own counsel and, and work through it yourself? Mm-hmm. When you're working through it on your own, and um, I think I've also kind of picked up, there, there, there might be some times where you're hard on yourself, too. Sure. Um, what do you do internally? Do you have, you know, certain steps that you go through, or, or how do you process those those times when you're working through things on your own? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's where meditation has become so valuable. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I wouldn't be able to verbalize in a succinct way, um, probably right now about steps. Um, but it's certainly quiet and stillness. Um, it's also being very aware that if there are times that, you know, maybe we're bumping up against fear of something, you know, um, that fear is just false evidence appearing real. Um, so reminding myself of that. And, um, but I think meditation and journaling have been key um, to that awareness. And then I think that the support that I have from uh, my friends, you know, and, and people, people around me, um, you know, appreciating what they have have to say um and hearing and really hearing it mm-hmm. um you know i think that's part of a i don't want to say mm, i don't want to say i'm a perfectionist but i certainly you know there are times that i think that it should be this way it's like having high standards anybody you know a lot of a lot of leaders or people that i know that are in um positions of influence or just have high standards for themselves, right? Like that, that, that bumping up against perfection, perfectionism, you know, is always in, in front of you. And, and there's nothing perfect. I mean, that, you know, we're all imperfectly perfect Mm -hmm. the way that we are. And so I would, I would just, I've really, really made, um, a concentrated effort. I mean, I, honestly, even back in, when I was in high school, being interested in the self-help and just, and, and, spirituality and and uncovering all of those um you know the different layers of of who we are and how we come into this world and what does that mean and you know what we can do to just be more resilient um, mm-hmm. within ourselves yeah so when you're journaling do you have a certain format or you know they there are tons of journals out there that have a format for you mm-hmm. do you just have a notebook what does your journal look like mm, preferably blank pages i prefer it without any lines i mean i, I like just the blank pages but mm-hmm. no format um i mean you know i'll, I'll put the date it's somewhere it doesn't always necessarily be at the top of the page and then i just write and i really just try, try to free form you know a prompt that um, I'll use a lot is just in this moment mm-hmm. and then whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm thinking, 
something that I might be angry about or feeling emotional about in some way. Um, and then just let it go and do my best to not edit and let it be very imperfect. I mean, yeah. there's no dotting I's or crossing T's or making sure there's periods. I mean, if, if it happens, great. Um, it's just about getting it out, you mm-hmm. know, and finding a release. Um, you know, and some, and people take that up in lots of different ways. Yeah. Do you ever go back and read some of your old journal entries? I have. Yeah. How's that? Terrifying. I don't know that I would. <laughs> I don't, I don't do it a lot. Yeah. But. Cause I, I don't know. I think I process things in that I'll process it and I just kind of let it go. And it would be hard for me to go back and revisit mm-hmm. sometimes because I'll just forget about stuff. Yeah. You know, and I don't like to relive some things. Sometimes. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm somebody that's going to go back and read it a lot. But, you know, I started going back and looking at some different themes, mostly because I would like to, I want to write a book. Probably there's maybe, I think, I think there's two books in me, but, um, you know, started looking at, okay, well, sort of how would I, you know, what are these themes or, you know, and kind of, I don't know, taking a closer look at that. But yeah, I think journaling should be messy. Yeah. Life is messy. It, it is. And it is, my friend. yeah. And I, you know, like I'm okay with that. And I'm usually my philosophy has always been, it's okay to be, you know, I mean, to get down and dirty and get messy with yourself because it's through the darkness when the light, you know, comes. Mm-hmm. And if we can't appreciate the dark, then you never really get the full effect or, you know, the full realization, I don't think, in what is in the light. And it gives you more empathy and compassion for humanity, too, because we all are bumping up against our own things. Yeah. So advice to anyone who has a day job, but they have a passion project, or they want to give back, they just, they're not sure how to do it or where to start, what would you tell that person? I would tell them to really try to get clarity around is it a is it a cause or is there a gap right so if there's a cause that they care about and just say if it's homelessness or domestic violence you know that we have ways that people can plug into that um then what people can sometimes find is that there might be a gap in what they think, you know, a service or an opportunity could be, because different having a having an idea and then thinking that it should be a business um, can sometimes be naive. And so, um, and I'm all about and I'm all about dreaming, and I, I certainly don't want to be a dream killer, you know, because sometimes the craziest ideas end up being the best businesses, you know. But I just think that they're doing some due diligence and some research. And, you know, fact-checking what you believe is maybe, you know, truly an idea or something that should be a business. Um, But trust, all in all, people should trust their instincts, you know, and trust what it is that, you know, is in their heart. And if um, they really feel deep down, like, I got the best next business idea or nonprofit idea or whatever it may be that could fill a gap, by all means, go and explore it, you know. I mean, there takes a lot of courage uh, to do that because anything worthwhile is usually never easy. And, you know, I think that if it's just truly they want to get involved, find be more specific about what that cause is and, you know, then 
look into what those organizations would be able to provide that person. That's good advice. Really good advice. Gina, thanks so much for coming in today. I'm so glad Project Dinner Table is back. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that back and everything you're doing in the community. Well, thank you very much. It's great to be here. I don't know about you, but I'm so inspired by Gina, her story, and what she continues to do to invest in our community. Find Project Dinner Table on Facebook for more details about upcoming events. And if you haven't done so already, something that helps us out tremendously is to leave us a review on our Facebook page or in iTunes. We're also always looking for leaders that you believe may be a good fit for our show by heading to leadershiplookslike.org forward slash contribute. I'm your host, Cree Edholm. Thanks as always for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode.